If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Last Sunday I began to speak to you, preach to you from the book of Jonah. And oh, what a book it is. And how much we need to understand the truths that are given to us in it. Jonah had a lot to learn, even though he was a prophet. Um, Sometimes I think that we do not see ourselves rightly, those of us who teach and preach, and even other Christians as well that don't preach and teach. Sometimes we don't see ourselves rightly, and so we, we need to understand things about ourselves, about the way that we look at life, the way that we look at God, the way we look at ourselves, the way that we see ourselves, and um, we need to change, but if God doesn't show us, then how can we really know? Well, God does show us, and that's what the Lord is doing in this passage that we'll look at here this morning. So let's bow together for prayer. Before I begin with you, Father, thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your love for us, your people, that you teach us Sunday by Sunday through your word, but you also teach us and remind us of your ways which are holy. You do that uh, through your providential ordering of things in our lives. And so we pray that we would learn from both, that we would learn from your word here this morning, but that as we go out from here into the world, or whether it's in our home or out in the world, that we would be able to see what you're trying to teach us in relation to other people, in relation to yourself, in relation to ourselves, where it is that we need to change. So help us this morning to grasp these things and the importance of prayer in relation to them, for we pray and ask these mercies in your dear name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And I want to begin reading here at verse 17 of chapter 1. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. 
So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Well, we continue to see the sovereignty of God exercised in particular and amazing ways in this marvelous story of God's determined love for Jonah. It says here at the end of the first chapter, the Lord appointed a great fish to accomplish his purpose. And what was his purpose? Well, actually, it was to show Jonah his great love for him and his faithfulness to teach him what he should do, that is, how he could become more obedient to him. Jonah's learning obedience would begin with his being taught by God's Spirit how to pray. And so at this hour, I want to relate to you the facts of Jonah's prayer from the belly of the great fish and draw lessons for us so that we, when we go through afflictions in which God is teaching us his will and his ways, that we will know how to righteously think about all that he is teaching us. And then on that basis, we can render to him a better obedience through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're taught here by Jonah how we should pray to God when we are under his discipline. When we pray, we will come to know what it is that the Lord would have us to do, what he would have us to do in particular, what he's looking for from us. And so I want to give you five things that Jonah recognized. First of all, he recognized the afflictive circumstances that God had brought him into, chapter 1, verse 17, to chapter 2, verse 3. Now you'll recall from the last chapter that it was Jonah's disobedience to God, to God's call to go and preach that got him into this mess in this unusual way. Now God was teaching him to obey him. And so it says he prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah. Now think about this truth with me as we begin the study of this passage. If um, God was not sovereign, he could never have done such a thing as commanding this fish to be there right at that specific time during this mighty storm, this tempest, to be able to swallow Jonah. He could not even have had the wisdom and power to have created such a great fish as this, let alone to appoint the fish to swallow Jonah. But he has both infinite wisdom and power. And it's because God is sovereign over his whole creation that he's sovereign over all the creatures that he's made, that he personally directed all the minute details of what this fish would do and of what would happen to Jonah in his discipline of Jonah. This was indeed a great fish that he appointed to swallow Jonah. It had a great belly, it says here, that could hold Jonah alive in it. Accordingly, as God was pleased to preserve him in that awful condition. God is 
infinite in his understanding of how he should deal with each one of us in particular. He considers what we in particular need to learn. And then he prepares the particular providences of how he will work his will. Then the same is the case, the same, it's the same for your life. Same for mine. Now God knows that we have been disobedient at certain points, and sometimes if that disobedience comes to a certain place, then he knows that he has to teach us personally what we need to learn. I'm talking about believers now. I'm not talking about unbelievers, although he teaches unbelievers as well. But according to his great love, according to his great mercy for those belonging to him, this text teaches us that he appoints and he prepares all things great and small for us in our life. Do you believe that, dear Christian? Because this passage would not be true if that weren't the case. Even though we do not understand how God is even now sovereignly preparing and he's sovereignly directing all of the events, great and small, in regard to this whole world. Oh, yes, it's true. And even ourselves in particular. Why is it that often even many Christians, uh, they don't believe in the sovereignty of God? It's because they do not want God to be this sovereign, as we see in this text. I mean, this is mighty sovereignty here, isn't it not? To take a disobedient prophet and have him swallowed by a great fish? Think about it. This is a mighty providence. It could only be done by God's sovereignty. You see, a lot of times Christians even don't want God's sovereignty to be this great. Oh no, they do not. Um, They want him to be a little sovereign. They will pray to him that he will exercise his sovereignty for why would they pray if they didn't believe in his sovereignty? They pray because they do believe in his sovereignty in one sense. But they do not want to believe that God is this sovereign. And so they need special help, don't they? Well, we all need special help to understand this truth. But some of us more than others and some of us in various ways in various times. Jonah needed help even though he was a prophet. Do you see this? He's, He's a prophet who's supposed to be on a mission to preach to Nineveh, but he's not going there. You see this, don't you? And the Lord's not going to take it. He's going to work with him. You know, there are some people that fool themselves very much in this way regarding God's sovereignty. This book tells us that Jonah was swallowed alive. Can you imagine? Maybe some of you have seen the movie Jaws, where that man, that one man that thought he was going to go fishing for the Jaws got fished himself by the jaws and was eaten by him. Well, he was chopped into little pieces. But think about it for a moment. A fish swallowing a man whole and then is being preserved down there for three days and three nights. And uh, 
yet we find some commentators actually saying that he actually died and was resurrected down there in the fish's belly. Um, because he was a type of Christ, they felt that they had to believe that. But you don't have to believe that, dear Christian. I don't deny that Jonah was a type of Christ. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But I believe that he's a type of Christ and that what he experienced was a living death there in this fish's belly. And after three and a half days, he was raised from this living death to a different kind of resurrection. It was a resurrection of being a better servant. It was a resurrection to a better ministry. It was a resurrection to learning more particularly to do God's will in God's way. Now, this is what we as Christians most certainly need according to God's all-wise evaluation of us. Did you know, dear Christian, that you are being evaluated by God in terms of the kind of obedience that you are giving to him. Well, you are, and he sees your heart, he sees your life most perfectly. And because you're a believer in Christ, he's going to very patiently and very lovingly, but most firmly over time, deal with your disobedience. Oh, yes, he is. This is why Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. It was to show forth the fact that he was prefiguring Christ's death and resurrection for him. As well as for all of God's elect people. Because Christ died for his Old Testament people just as much as he did for the New Testament people. It's just that the benefits and blessings of that salvation were applied retroactively to them so that they would be most definitely saved, so that they would most definitely be taught, like we're talking about here. But it's all based, salvation is always based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ does, has done, and is doing for us, his elect people. Christ would really and actually die for Jonah's sins of disobedience, even though he was unworthy of it. And Christ would really and actually die so that Jonah could die to sin and live to righteousness. Now you realize, of course, dear Christian, that that's what we're called to. We're called to die to sin and live to righteousness. But sometimes we need to be taught what that means very practically. Christ would die so that Jonah could learn the lessons of a better obedience. Christ has died so that you and I can learn the lessons of a better obedience. Our Lord truly died the death of deaths by his crucifixion, a punishment of the most extreme sort, his being punished in our place for our sins and not because he was guilty of any sin himself but on our behalf and in our place. So Jonah was a type of Christ in that he was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights, but nowhere does it say that he died physically. And there is no doubt in my mind that he died a thousand deaths in his mind and his heart as he was down there in the belly of this fish during that awful time. I believe that God is well able to preserve the strongest man or the weakest man alive 
in the most precarious circumstances, like those of Jonah's were, just to accomplish his purpose with them. No doubt if we would read history more, we would see that he does this on a regular basis. (laughs) It's really true. Not on the scale that Jonah went through, but on the scale proportionate to your particular need to obey God. God, I'm saying, does not have any trouble doing these great things. I hope that you see this. This is not, any, this is not troublesome to God. For he is infinitely great in his being. Uh, there is nothing impossible to God. His providential care extends, as I'm saying, to the most minute details of our lives, our everyday experience. If you are a Christian, you should not need this to be proved to you. But often it's necessary for God to teach us very practically what his will is. His care is, God's care is, that his providential ordering of things must be as he himself is, perfectly righteous. In other words, what he did with Jonah was perfectly righteous. And when you and I go through various providentially ordered circumstances in our lives, I want you to see that you need to remember that God is perfectly righteous in relation to you as well. No matter what he orders for your life, no matter what it is, that he is perfectly righteous and, and, and what he expects is for you to learn of him. Come and learn of me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart. We say, well, it didn't look like he was too gentle with Jonah. Well, you see, what I'm saying is that God knows proportionately how to gear his providential ordering of your circumstances to your case down to minute details. That these things are not happen chance. They are not something that just appears out of nowhere and you go, well, I wonder where that came from. Well, it came from God. It came from God Most High who is infinitely great in his being and who orders all things up to the counsel of his will. Oh, we need to see this. Um, by the time Jonah had prayed this prayer in chapter 2, he'd already been three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And he had plenty of time in which he could think about what God had done to him. And we need to think about this from the very beginning of this extraordinary experience of his. When the mariners threw Jonah overboard, this great fish swallowed him alive. He wasn't just standing there in the mouth of the great fish. The fish's mouth open, you know. Jonah's waving at them on the ship. You know, he's saying, it's okay, guys. I'm going to be all right. You know, that's not what happened. When he was swallowed, he went slippery slidey all the way down to the fish's belly immediately. And then the fish did a great dive. And he went down to the bottom, to the moorings of the ocean. He says there in verse 6. It's bars. The earth with its bars appeared closed behind him forever. So at first, he must have thought he was going to die, but after a while, he realized he was going to live. <laughs> he didn't know which was going to be worse, whether he was going to die or whether he was going to live. 
Uh, he says in verse 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. And sometimes I think that when people think about the story of Jonah, they think about it in very romantic terms that somehow or another Jonah had a little flashlight in his pocket. <laughs> he's, he's, he's down there in the belly of the fish, you know, and he's, he's, in, he's in utter darkness. So he pulls out his little flashlight and he's holding it there and he's praying. No, that's not how it was going. He was in pitch darkness and he stayed down there in pitch darkness for three days and three nights until God was done dealing with him in that horrible condition. And he calls it an affliction here. I don't think that we ought to think of it as a vacation for him. I don't, it wasn't that way with him. He says, he cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The floods surrounded me. Your, all your billows and waves passed over me. He says in Psalm 43, verse 6, David had a similar experience when he was being chased out of Jerusalem by his son, Absalom. And he says, all of your billows have gone over me. All of your waves and all of your billows have gone over me. The Lord will, however he says, command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Sometimes when you sing psalms and hymns, they can be a prayer to the God of your life. Do you believe that, dear Christian? You, you, uh, you pray it at night, you sing at night, Sometimes in the middle of the night, just because you know that you need to, you need to speak with God over the awful things perhaps that he's brought to your life and experience. But it says there, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. Do you remember the, the promises of God when you go through this experience of being in the great deep? Do you remember this, dear Christian? Do you remember the Lord's loving kindness? He can command it for you right where you are in whatever experience that you are in, whatever he himself has brought you in. Oh, we need to see this. You know, David knew such great distress when he was driven outside of Jerusalem by his own son that he wrote in that graphic way that I just spoke to you about. Jonah was in distress in the belly of the great fish because he knew God was angry with him. Now sometimes it may appear that God is angry with us. Maybe he really is. He was really angry with Moses when Moses refused his call. Remember I said that to you last Sunday? He was really angry with him. God was really angry with Jonah when he would not go to Nineveh, when he when he just said, I'm going to take this ship, I'm going to go the opposite direction. You'll understand, Lord. You'll see. You'll understand. But see, that's not the way it was with God. God was, God was angry with him. Now, you should understand that God's anger is always under perfect control. God is never out of control in his anger. If God is angry, angry he may be on a slow burn, but he's, he's not out of control. You need to see this. You need to see how great a God it is that we serve. He's very deliberate in regard to his love, his anger, all of his attributes that he exhibits, his perfect being in, in ways that are beyond our understanding, are, are being able to find out how he does all these great things. 
But David said in Psalm 32, he said, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Well, I'm sure that Jonah felt somewhat the same way down there in the belly of the fish. Except he didn't feel heat. He just felt kind of chilly, I would think. This was the kind of experience that he was having. He was surrounded continually with darkness, sloshing waters, the noisy sounds of a fish's belly. Oh, Christian, when you are going through your darkest experience, you must learn to cry out to God in your affliction rather than to just sit still and to think, oh, well, you know, this too will pass. No, no. God wants to have dealings with you. And that's why this has happened, whatever it is, that it is that has happened. And so Jonah says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me, he says. So if he answered Jonah, what should you conclude? He'll answer me. You feel like you're in the belly of the fish, so to speak. You feel like you're in the worst possible circumstances that you could possibly ever be in. Know that if you know the Lord, the Lord is right there with you. And if you don't know the Lord, you can come to know the Lord <laughs> through these providential orderings, like so many have been doing here recently through this storm that we had. That's why God does these great things. It's so that people will wake up to their sinfulness and that they will trust in Christ. But people have to cry out. We have to tell them to cry out. We have to cry out ourselves. Dear Christian, do you cry out to God in prayer? You, you can't just, it can't be a rote prayer if you're under the discipline of the Lord, if, if it's some affliction that he's brought to you or you know that you're being disciplined by him. You know, when the Lord brings discipline to you, he does it because he loves you. It says that in Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason that he does it, he says there, is so that you might share in his holiness. And that's why he does it. Oh, that's what we need to remember. Uh, remember Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Do you see it? He will again have compassion on us. Oh, this is the way it is for Christians. And he will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Oh, Jonah. Jonah was learning this kind of thing firsthand, wasn't he? Well, second, Jonah recognized God's mercy in his bringing this affliction. Verses 4 to 6, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. Now you can see that the words of 2 to 6, verses 2 to 6, were written after Jonah had actually been delivered, or at least in the process of being delivered 
from this great affliction of his being in the fish's belly. His actual words of crying out to God are not given for us here, I believe, but they're merely summarized. And this should show us that This should show us something important about prayer, I think. It is that forms of prayer are not enough to satisfy God. Rote forms of prayer are not enough to satisfy God. Now, you know, there's a lot of churches out there these days, and they have what's called liturgy. And you come in the back door, and you're handed a bulletin, and you pray through prayers that have been written for you. That's not necessarily all bad. That might get a person thinking about their sinfulness. But I'm saying just because a person prays a a rote prayer does not mean that their heart is engaged in that prayer. That's what I want you to see here. That's the danger of, um, you know, just trying to get somebody to pray a prayer to accept Christ. Is, Is there anything wrong with that? No. But the real difficulty is this, is if the person's heart is not engaged to the Lord in prayer, then nothing happens. So you can have people that come to church for absolute years, and they're reading the liturgy. They're reading it off the bulletin. But it's not affecting their heart, and they don't see themselves as the sinner that God wants to deal with over their sins. And so because of that, they'll go on thinking that because they go to church and because they've prayed a prayer once years ago, that somehow or another that God heard that prayer and that they're saved. And yet there's no change in them. And they still live for the world and their flesh and even are sometimes deceived by the devil. I'm saying we need to take care that we are not deceived in this regard, that we cannot be praying rote prayers to God. The problem with written forms of prayers liturgy is that they are something which is written out for the reader to read, but how much of heart reflection and real acknowledgement takes place there? Well, maybe some persons it is, and praise God if it's so. The person reflects on it and they seriously take it to heart. Some people will do that. I'm quite convinced that that's the case. But I'm still saying that the truth is nevertheless to be admitted by all of us here today that it will not be enough to please God if you're under his discipline, if you just pray a rote prayer. You say, I'm just a sinner, God, so, you know, help me. No, 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 no. You have to stop and you need to ask yourself, where am I a sinner? Why is it that God is displeased with me? And, and what, if any, what, if any, are the reasons that these grave providential orderings have come upon me? Now, maybe it's like Job that these things have come upon you because you were righteous and Satan has taken and misconstrued that to all your friends and to the devil himself and he's trying to prove that you're a hypocrite. But I'm saying that's, that's, that's the exception to the rule. And we need to understand that uh, we cannot have superficial dealings with God. I'm saying sometimes when people pray, they do not really intend to confess any heart sin at all, but they pray in order to justify themselves before God. Well, we read of this in the Bible. In Luke 18, you remember what it says there? Jesus tells this parable to some who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous 
and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. But he was beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than than the other. Watch this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So really, that's the issue, isn't it, in prayer? That when we come to prayer, that we are sincere with God, but that we're also humbled. We're humbled under the circumstances that God has placed us in. We, we may not understand them at all. But nevertheless, we cry out to God for wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who will not reproach you? He will not say, are you coming to me for wisdom again? God is not like that. He will take you up at your word in prayer. But he will not tolerate this kind of thing that justifies yourself in his sight. Oh, I've done this and I've done that, and therefore, God, you ought to hear me and you ought to answer my... No. (laughs) What we have to pray is we have to pray, Lord, teach me where I can grow in relation to my faith and my obedience Now, what was wrong with the Pharisee? It says here he was praying with himself. We can't ever pray with ourselves as though we're evaluating our own prayer as we go. (laughs) ah, Your prayer's not even going to hit the ceiling. You know, you're praying with yourself. No, you can't do that. Your prayer has to be to God, engaging God. God. And so that's why when Jonah did engage God, it says here that God, he told God, you've brought me out of the pit. Oh, this is good, isn't it? He knew that this was his experience and he was thankful for it. This is the other thing that I need to tell you, that whatever providential ordering that God brings to you, can you give thanks for it? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Now, I know, I know there's a lot of things in life that, that, that are really hard to give thanks for. And indeed, when things are going completely against you, can you really um, give thanks in the midst of that? Well, at some point, you should be able to do it. Because you know that God is all wise that he is holy, that he is loving, that he is faithful, that he is true, and that he orders all these things for your good, that all things work together for good to those who love God, even even the trials, even the difficulties, even the things that are the hardest in your life. That's why you can give thanks. It's when you realize how mercifully God has treated you, really. Oh, Lord, you really have been merciful to me, even, even even though this has been so hard for me. Um, when you've sinned, you do that same thing. You say, Lord, I'm so thankful that you, you showed me my, my own sinfulness, my own... If, 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 I mean, without this affliction, I would have gone astray, but now I keep your word. It's good for me to be afflicted. For before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. 
Third, Jonah recognized his need to remember the Lord. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So the Lord Jesus says in Luke 18, 1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And yet, Jonah, it says here, was fainting. His soul fainted within him. There was no more spirit in him, in other words, to think that God would answer his prayers. And so he was tempted to give up. But then it says he remembered the Lord. Now, let me ask you very simply, is that something that's happened to you, dear Christian? You're you're tempted to give up in terms of your praying, uh, but then you remember the Lord? Because that's the right way to proceed. When you remember the Lord and you remember how great he is and all the, the wonderful things that he's done for you in the past then can you not also accept adversity from the Lord? Can you not see him as good in what he's done that will prevent you from fainting? Uh, Remembering that he is a prayer-hearing God, that he's faithful to his promises to you. Jonah remembered that even though he had disobeyed God's call to go and preach, even though he had acted in a manner unworthy of God's having called him to be a preacher of the word, that he could still repent of his disobedience and come back to him, confessing his sins. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That is the guiltiness of it. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. Well, isn't that what happened to Jonah? (laughs) They they couldn't come near him. They had to throw him overboard. And yet God took him up in the great fish, didn't he? And God showed to him that even in the belly of the fish that he could preserve him alive. Did you know that God can preserve you alive, dear Christian, in the midst of your greatest trials and difficulties and bring you out the better for it? So that you confess that with your own mouth? Later on, you know, other people that behold you, the trouble coming to you, like it come to Jonah, they might be scared to come near you in your greatest trial. Perhaps they see you like Jonah, that you're fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But I'm saying, I want you to remember that Jonah thought it over there in the belly of the fish, and he knew that God had preserved him. He knew that he was preserving him. He knew that he would preserve him, which is why he could pray this before he was spit up onto the dry land by the fish. But there in Psalm 32, and take notice of this, the psalm goes on to say in verse 7, you are my hiding place and you shall preserve me From trouble, you shall surround me with songs of deliverance. See, that's what Jonah no doubt remembered. It was that God was preserving him in this great fish. It was so that he might see God as his hiding place, even in this great fish. He realized God's purpose was not simply to have him swallowed in order to kill him, 
but rather God's purpose was to preserve him there while he dealt with him in his rebellion and his sinful heart. And that's what you should remember, dear Christian, as well. When you're fainting because of the great sins and mistakes and judgment that perhaps you have made, when you begin to pray in this way, remembering the Lord is the one who will receive a repentant sinner, you do well. For God receives sinners to himself. He'll receive you if you come praying in the name of Jesus. You feel far away from God. You uh, believe that God will not cast off one of his own. Those who continually come back to him looking for mercy and grace. But will you not believe that God will test your heart? to see where your heart really is with him. To see if your heart is completely his. Now, perhaps you feel so far away from God that you feel estranged from him because of your sins and the mistakes and judgment that you've made. You made your own decisions to go where you wanted to go and do what you wanted to do rather than listening to his word, being sensitive to his leading. He would have you repent. And he would have you renew your relationship with him. Listen to the words of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 to 32. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. For though he causes grief, he will show great compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. In other words, he doesn't bring discipline unless he knows that he has to, unless he knows that you are not willing to receive it at first, like Jonah was not willing to receive it, but God perseveres in his determining love with you. He will make you see it. He will bring you into his net. He will bring you into the belly of the fish. He will bring you into the providential circumstances which seem hard to bear because he loves you. And so when Jonah remembered this and prayed to the Lord, then he heard him. He heard him. And fourth, Jonah recognized that he, he should vow to serve the Lord better in the future. Those who regard worthless idols, it says in verse 8, forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So you can see here that when Jonah prayed this prayer that he saw this great principle which you and I should see as well. It is that if you have anything that is more important to you than knowing and walking with God, anything more important than your learning to do His will, that in doing that, you forsake your own mercy 
you forsake your own mercy. In other words, it's a form of idolatry. You're setting yourself up as the final judge of things over your own life. You're not going to let God teach you. You're unwilling to let God teach you. Oh no, God sees that very definitely. And that's why Jonah confesses this. He says, those who regard worthless idols, and he's including himself when he says this, forsake their own mercy. And for a time, he forsook his own mercy. And dear Christian, you, you could do that too if you don't listen to what I'm saying to you in this message. If you have something more important to you than God, then you need to deal with it in the presence of God. Something sinful, something personal, something that is more important to you, some reason that you can't come to him and confess it to him and have him take you up and comfort you by his forgiveness and his loving arms and say, I will, I will make this right in your life and I will teach you in regard to other persons perhaps who have sinned against you. See, that was why Jonah didn't want to go in the first place, wasn't it? I don't want you to show mercy to these Ninevites. I want them to be judged by you. See, sometimes that's the way Christians think about things too. Because something terribly wrong has been done to them. And they've been sinned against. Or they're looking at somebody who has had something done that was terribly wrong to them. And they want justice. And they want, and they want the crime avenged. That's what Jonah wanted, I believe, even though we're not told what it is. I think that's what it was. But he says, I'm going to pay what I vowed. Do you know what he vowed? He vowed, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to go preach to Nineveh. I'm going to sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm going to look, I'm going to look back at Jerusalem. I know I'm going to be able to go up into the temple once again and worship God. I know I'm going to be able to do this. It's going to be a glorious thing. But I also know what, I, well, what else I'm going to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to preach to Nineveh. He says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Dearly beloved, that's what we need to do too. When we confess our sins to the Lord, we need to, whatever disobedience it was that took us away from God, whatever he had to deal with us over, we have to vow to do what he was commanding us. I, I, I promise that by your grace, Lord, I will do this. This is the hardest thing that I'll ever do, but I will do it. I think it was the hardest thing that Jonah ever did, and I think, I think also we're going to see it in chapters 3 and 4, that this was the hardest thing that Jonah ever did, because he's going to, he's going to disagree with God again. He's, he's going to question God again, even after this, even after he was brought up out of the fish. And God has to deal with him in his providence again. We're going to see this. Oh, I'm just, I'm just saying to you, uh, see that God has called you according to his own purpose. Uh, he has plans for you that he wants to work out in your life. Dear Christian, each and every single one of you, God has plans for you that he wants to work out in your life. You may not be able to see all of that yet. Perhaps sometimes you're going to fight against it. Perhaps sometimes you think that you know better than God does about what you should be doing in the future or what you're doing now for him. We're not doing it because you don't want to do it when he's commanded you to do it. 
I'm, I'm trying to show you that he calls you according to his own purpose and he, he wants to work that out in relation to your life. He wants to build in you new desires. New desires for righteousness, a new vision in you for holiness, a new perspective on people around you that you're going to try to do them good, you're going to try to help them where you can, you're going to try to share them the gospel where you can, uh, that you might love them, help them understand God's greatness, his glory, and what a life looks like that's transformed by his powerful grace. Do you have that vision? Oh, that's what God's looking for. And God will, if you have that vision, God's going to be blessing you with so many rich blessings of grace in relation to your faith in him that you will not be able to contain them all. Honestly, you will will marvel over it. You will marvel over it time and time and time again. Don't tolerate any worthless idol in your life. You think you can get something out of that idol that God cannot give you, that God has not ordained for you, God has not appointed it for you? You're fooling yourself. Everything that is good comes from God. Everything that is sinful, bad, and that will not last is coming from your own idea of things and from sinful philosophies of this world that will never provide for you in the final analysis. Only God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Every, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting of shadow. So we need to see about Jonah's vow and make vows ourselves too that if we understand that we have faith in Christ, we can keep. In other words, we don't vow it just because we do it in the strength of our own determination. Apart from the grace of Christ, we vow it because we see Christ having died for our sins and giving us grace uh, in relation to keeping our vows. And then finally and briefly, Jonah recognized God's sovereignty and is answering his prayers. Verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Isn't that something? God speaks to the fish. He tells him what he wants him to do. Tells him he's going to vomit Jonah out of his belly and onto the dry land and the fish does it. I started this message by directing your attention to the sovereignty of God. I'll end with the same. I hope that you can see that when the Lord saw that Jonah was truly repentant, that he released him from his watery prison. It was after three and a half days, nights of lying there in that grave of the fish's belly that he finally came out, a most specific time. Notice that? Our times are in God's hands. The times of our discipline are in his hands, as well as all of our other times. And Jonah, at this most specific time, he came out of the fish's belly according to the will of the Lord for him. And in that he became a type of Christ. Isn't this good? In other words, God used this whole episode in order to use Jonah the prophet, to become a type of Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ to us, so that Jesus himself mentions it in Matthew 12. Some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What a mighty type of Christ Jonah was. Christ didn't mention anything about Jonah's unfaithfulness. Rather, he mentions his going to preach to the people of Nineveh. And you know, he goes on then to elaborate on that too. How others would have repented that he was preaching to at that very time if they had had Jonah come and preach to them. They would have repented at that, but yet you won't repent at, at my teaching you, Jesus says. So we need to take care how we hear, take care how we listen, that we will repent of those things that are sinful in our lives that are brought to our attention by the Lord himself to our spirit. By the way, the Lord knows how to do that. He speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to you by his spirit, in your spirit. I hope that you believe this. He, he most certainly does. Uh, the reason that Jonah did not die during that three days and three nights that the fish had him down there was all because Christ was his Savior. And then God overruled all those things that Jonah had done wrong. And through that time, Jonah was taught very certainly and very definitely by God, showing him his sin, showing him how he needed to pray, teaching his spirit how he needed to think about these things. And I'm saying that in the times of your greatest distress and your greatest, perhaps, disobedience, the Lord may discipline you like he did Jonah, but he will not fail you. He will not forsake you. He will keep your soul. He will teach you all that you need to learn to glorify him. He's going to bring you out of the trial to have a greater ministry for him, dear Christian. The real question is this. Will you be sensitive to God speaking to your mind and heart? Will you let him teach your spirit in relation to his word and his will? How you can be more faithful to him. You see, there's a way to obey God and your spirit not be right. And we're going to see that in coming sessions here in Jonah. Jonah was taught, and in some ways his spirit was not right, and in some ways it was. God knows that too. And God is able to teach us the further lessons that we need to learn. And I'm just simply asking this, will you not be willing to pray in such times of your greatest trials? Will you see him in the way that Jonah saw him while he was still in the belly of the great fish? Will you see him holding you with loving hands even when all of his waves and billows are going over you? Will you make a vow to serve him more faithfully from that day forward when he releases you? from the discipline? Will you sacrifice to him with the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving for Christ being your substitute, Christ being your teacher? For that's why Christ died. He died as your substitute, not only for the forgiveness of your sins, but so that he could be your teacher. 
so that he could lead you into all the truth through his Holy Spirit's working in your life. You see, then you can be sure that you'll be able to pay what you have vowed to him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the strength of it. We thank you for the strength of you, our God, to teach us and to show us all that we need to do in relation to our obedience to you. You're faithful to show us that in your word, most certainly, but you're also faithful to show us that in our spirit. And that's one of the great lessons of Jonah, the book of Jonah. And so we pray that we would learn that lesson and that together we would behold your glory in your determined love to not only save Jonah, but to teach him the things that he needed to learn so that he would be able to obey you in a better way, a more God-glorifying way. For we pray and ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we'll close by singing this great hymn, number 271. How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. And you say, well, how could it be awful if Christ is there? Well, it's awful because of his presence here with us, showing us all of these truths that we need to learn. Some of those truths, at first they seem awful in an awful way, but then they become awful in a glorious way. So let's stand and we'll sing this, these glorious truths because we have the presence of our Lord here right with us. Hymn number 271. How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast each cry with thankful tongues Lord why was I a guest why was I made to hear thy voice and enter there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Let's do this a cappella. Same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in 
How sweet and still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Pity the nations, O our God, constrain the earth to come. Send thy victorious word abroad and bring the strangers home. We long to see thy churches full that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. And may the Lord go with you.